Hi, and welcome to the Your Purpose is Calling podcast, conversations with Christians who are finding purpose, redefining work, and changing their world. I'm your host, Don Sadler. When I wanted to do an episode all about leadership, I didn't have to go very far to find an expert. My guest today has more than 30 years of experience as an executive in corporate finance for companies including Fidelity and Charles Schwab before he made a career change in his early 50s to full-time vocational ministry. He currently oversees operations for a multi-site church based in New York City with locations in New York, San Francisco, St. Pete, East Watini, Africa, and launching soon in London. He's a brilliant leader, and he also happens to be my husband, Matt Sadler. Today, we're talking all about how to lead well in business and ministry, the importance of having vision, and how an unexpected midlife career change turned out to be a blessing in disguise. You can access the show notes for today's episode at donsadler.com slash 031. The Your Purpose is Calling podcast is brought to you by Avada Christian Coaching. We give business owners, career professionals, and ministry leaders the tools they need to create vision, commit to action, and conquer their goals to walk in their calling with greater clarity and confidence. Sign up for our free weekly coaching emails at avadacoaching.com slash subscribe. And now, let's meet Matt. Matt Sadler, welcome to the show. Thanks for me. Thanks for being here. <clears throat> Thanks for having me here. <laughs> it's my pleasure. So, for anyone who does not yet know the incredible Matt Sadler, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, so first and foremost, I'm Dawn's husband, which is a big <laughs> win for me. Uh, I also uh, uh, I am employed by Liberty Church, and I oversee. We'll call it the operations and logistics and finance, basically the, the, the side of the church that's often invisible is the part that I oversee for Liberty. And tell us a little bit, for those who don't know Liberty, kind of tell us a little bit about that. How so, big is it? How many, where is it? Sure. So Liberty Church uh, is a church that was founded in 2011 in New York City. Uh, and we have four communities here in New York City. We also have one in San Francisco, one in St. Petersburg, uh, one in Manzini in Eswatini, which is in Southern Africa. And we have one that is in the process of forming and just you know, we're just pre-launch right now in London. So those are our eight communities. And on an average Sunday, we have about uh, 1,000, 1,100 people uh, on average, at least that's what it has been so far this year. And so you started when? When? How long have you been doing? I started that? in 2014, so uh, a little over five years. And how? What was the size of the church when you started, and what was it? What compared to what it is now? Well, so at the time that we started, we had at the time that I started, uh, we had uh, three communities, uh, and we probably ran about 400 people uh, in those three communities every Sunday. Awesome. Okay, so you um, are, can I share how old you are? Sure. Okay, so you're in your late 50s, and you've been with the church. Um, so 57. I have several 50. more years in my late 50s. <laughs> I just want to point that out. Fair. And so ministry was not your profession for a long time. It was kind of a left turn, right? It was not even in my, on my uh, 
on my journal of what I was <laughs> dreaming about. No, so uh, uh, so no, I was in financial services in the finance space for, gosh, since 1983 when I got out of college, and um, uh, and so it was a surprise to me to um, actually be interested in joining the staff of Liberty Church to run this part of Liberty. Uh, uh, when that happened, it was not. It was in no way part of my plan. I never had this dream that oh, someday I want to work for a church. Someday I want to do full time vocational ministry. That was just I, those words probably never uttered came out of my mouth. I probably never uttered those words. But God had a plan. Yeah, evidently. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to talk about leadership because you really are one of the best leaders I've ever known. And I'm biased, of course, but I think a lot of people would say that you're an exceptional leader. But before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about how did you get to New York? What was that story? <laughs> well, uh, you know this story, Don, because uh, yeah. we got to New York together. <laughs> but uh, uh, we have uh, two boys. The youngest one uh, was graduating high school and uh, was going to go away to college. And we at the time were living in Oakland, California. We had a uh, a nice big house that uh, was going to soon be empty from the boys and just be us in a big house. And so we had been thinking in our heads, someday we ought to, we ought to be thinking about selling the house and, and moving somewhere else. Just we were both doing work that we could do anywhere. And so we weren't constrained to doing it in the Bay Area. And um, we came out, Jack Jack was accepted at a few schools, and one of the schools he was accepted at was NYU. And so we came out here during that window between the time that they accept you and the time that the student needs to make the decision. So it's the sales, it's the close process, right? Mm -hmm. And so we came out for the NYU Accepted Students Weekend. And there's a time where the students all go off, all go off and do their own thing and uh, leaving the parents to wander around New York. And so we were wandering around New York Wandering around, wandering around New York, and we looked at each other and said, I think we ought to move to New York. And so this would have been close to the end of April in 2012. And um, by the middle of July 2012, 12 weeks later, we had put our bags down in a new apartment in New York, having sold and closed on our house in Oakland, California, and having sold or given away nearly everything that we owned. We didn't we didn't ship a moving truck out here. We, uh, whatever we could pack in five UPS boxes and have shipped out here and could carry on the airplane, that's exactly what we brought. Plus, we got the bonus of terrorizing our youngest child with Ugh. those words that every kid dreams about when they go off to college, which is... We're coming with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so we did not tell Jack that we were moving to New York until after he made his decision about which school to go to. We didn't want to sway his decision. And so when he told us that he decided he wanted to go to NYU and had accepted that, you know, we gave him a few minutes to celebrate. And then we said, by the way, we're moving to New York too. So there you go. So we came to New York without a plan. Is that fair to say? Well, we came to New York. We had, we had our occupations that we were doing, what we could do anywhere. And our thought was, we're going to be in New York just for a window of time, a couple of years. Uh, and then we were going to move somewhere else. We had no intention of staying in New York. Even if we liked New York, it wasn't like the plan was we're going to stay here for years. It was we're going to be here for a couple of years and then we're going to go somewhere else for a couple for a couple of years. Yeah, we were just we were just out for an adventure. We cool. thought, why not? 
we're empty nesters. We get to travel. Why should our kids have all the fun? That's right. That's exactly right. It was it was an adventure, and and um, and we thought this was the first step on this adventure. Yeah, and it was. It was just a different adventure. It was a different adventure, and it ended up being the step that we're still on in terms of location. We're still here in New York. Yeah, yeah, and an even better even better plan than sure. we could have envisioned. Absolutely. So how did, so tell the story about how did we go from being in New York, I think we knew two people, three people maybe total here when we moved here, and um, we knew we wanted to find a church right away, but how did it happen that you, we went from working from home, being in a city, making this decision, we weren't sure if it was either the best decision of our life or a terrible, terrible mistake. It was one of the two. It was going to be one of the two. That's right. Um, so what happened that led you into ministry eventually? Well, so, uh, so at the time that we moved here, I was trading my own account. Uh, and uh, that is in many ways an incredibly fantastic thing uh, in the sense that you control the amount of money that you can make. You can control your work hours. Uh, and if you decide one day that you just don't want to trade, you can just decide to not trade that day. Uh, and so you're in complete control of, uh, of everything uh, that has to do with your work. On the other hand, it is very isolating. It is just you in the computer, and that is it. There is, well, in CNBC maybe, and you feel like you get to know the people who are on CNBC as if they are your personal friends. But, um, but it is a very isolating thing, and, and I had been doing it for uh, probably by this time five years and it's a grind, right? There's a bit of it that's a grind. So we, uh, uh, shortly after we came to New York, uh, we started going to Liberty, and uh, that would have been August. We moved in July of 2012, and in probably sometime in August, we had decided that we were going to make Liberty Church our home, and um, and we were just attendees. I joined the worship team uh, beginning of 2013. Don joined the production team right around that same time, uh, and um, and we were just volunteers serving, uh, and, you know, somewhat involved in, in, uh, in the ministry. And, um, as we came to the end of 2013 or the beginning of 2014, Paul, uh, let us know that he was looking to bring somebody on staff to sort of take a lot of the weight off of the administrative logistics, operational details that, as a lead pastor of a small church, you just have to deal with. But as, as it gets to a certain point, maybe you don't have to deal with some of those things. And he, was, uh, uh, he, he uh, offered me a position to come on and run, the, uh, and run what I do for Liberty Church. The thing that I think is really interesting about your story is that, you know, you worked for Fidelity, you worked for Schwab, you worked for a long time in finance, you had a lot of responsibilities, um, and you liked those jobs, but... Um, they were pretty high-stress jobs, and you you weren't complaining about it. It didn't. It wasn't anything that you complained about. But it feels like making the move into ministry. It feels like now you're really thriving. Like here in your late fifties, in this left turn that you didn't expect, that you're really thriving. Does it feel that way to you? It does. I mean, there's. I would think there's a couple of reasons. One is uh, I'm a smarter person now than I was then. Uh, you know, I I think as a as a I, I, I got pushed into management uh, early, probably I was under 25, and, um, 
And there's a lot you don't know and a lot you think you know, and it's good for your ego, which oftentimes makes it bad for everyone around you. And, um, and I think, you know, frankly, I think, uh, uh, I think I was a capable but not particularly good leader uh, in those early years. And I think as time goes on, you just sort of develop a sense for how to lead, how to lead better, and a sense of yourself and your ego becomes less important and less tied into, um, I don't want to say less tied into what you do, but I don't, I'm, I don't feel fully defined by what it is that I do, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. And do you feel like the fact that you have a bigger purpose than satisfying shareholders makes a difference in how you feel about your work? Well, I think it does. Uh, I mean, I, I certainly think that that having a, a mission or a vision for what it is your work is, uh, and having that be connected to a God plan is a very good thing. However, um, you know, there, I, I don't feel like I was in a, uh, connected to a company that had bad plans or anything like that. I do think, though, when you're in an organization, a corporate organization, it is easier for people who are employed to not be fully bought into the vision of the organization. Hmm. It's just a, it's just a job. It's just paying the bills, paying the rent. Uh, yet if you're part of a church, if you're, if you're employed at a church, you've got to be bought in to it for lots of reasons. I mean, one is you're a Christian and you, uh, and you should feel the same amount of desire to see, uh, people one for Christ as, hmm as you can. Um, but the other is, is that, um, people don't get loaded, uh, in terms of money. They don't get rich. <laughs> they don't get rich working people for don't a get church. Loaded at church. Uh, yeah, they don't get, but they don't, you know, they're, they, they, uh, it's not, you don't take a job at a church with the idea that I'm going to get paid. Right. You take a job at a church on the idea that it is a mission that you believe in. I think that's right. I want to talk about leadership. We're talking about how to lead well in business and ministry. And do you think as Christians that we are all called to be leaders in some form? Well, I think everybody has, uh, everybody in some aspect of their life is probably a leader in some way. Uh, and I think as, as Christians, you know, we're to live our lives in such a way that we're good examples of what it means to be followers of Christ. And I think just by the sheer nature of doing that, we have an opportunity to be leaders of others just by living our life uh, as Christians out loud, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I, think that, um, I think that everybody has the potential to be a leader. I think everybody uh, who has a desire to be a leader can be a leader and can be an effective leader. Um, so... Um, I'm not sure I would, I mean, maybe it is the case that everybody is called to be a leader. Maybe that is, I mean, is, was there something behind that question? Well, I think I just feel like if we are in a workplace and we are, you know, the word call, calls us to be the head and not the tail, to be above and not beneath, not because we're superior, but because we're driven by excellence, because we serve God, work as unto the Lord. And I feel like anybody who operates that in a work environment is naturally going to be seen as a leader. What do you think? Well, so, uh, so maybe, I think certainly... Look, certainly you can be a leader without having a leadership position. Right. Right. So, 
Uh, so the way that you live, the way you respond, the way you do your work, all of those other aspects that are sort of, I, I will call it personal leadership, managing yourself in a way that is, uh, is doing excellent work because your work is an aspect of your worship, I think is in fact, uh, is in fact an opportunity for every Christian. I do think that that's, I do think that that's, that that part's right. So, so, uh, so you're right. In other words, <laughs> I know that's where you were going. In other words, yes, Dawn, again, you are right. We'll return to my interview with Matt Sadler in just a moment. But first, I want to let you know that today's episode is sponsored by Avada Coaching, giving Christian business owners, career professionals, and ministry leaders the tools they need to create vision, commit to action, and conquer their goals so they can walk in their calling with greater clarity and confidence. You can download our free daily planning tool, The Peak Page, at avadacoaching.com slash peak. And now, back to my interview with Matt Sadler. So tell me what's the big difference between leading in business and leading in ministry? Well, I mean, I think that the big, uh, the biggest difference is the why. Mm -hmm. It's the... It's the why the organization exists. It's the what it is that it is trying to do uh, in connecting uh, people to that organization. Uh, and so from a, a leadership standpoint, you know, one of the things that leaders do and need to do again and again has to do with connecting what it is that people are doing every day to what the vision of the organization is, to try to ensure that they understand that their work matters to what it is that the organization is about. And I think in a, in, a, in, a, in a ministry or in a church environment, um, I guess I would say it's easier because people, again, people join the ranks of being an employee of this organization because of the fact that they are Christians and they, they want to be part of what it is that we're doing. Um, but in a corporate world, many people join, join a company because it's a good job or it's a job that they can do or it's a job that they need. And so I think in a, in a corporate world, you have a mix of people who are there for reasons because they believe in the vision of the organization and other people who are there because it's a job that they can do or they need. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Which one do you think is more challenging? Well, I want, I don't want to say that the stuff I do is easy, right? I, you know, um, uh, but I think, I think a corporate environment is more uh, is more challenging because uh, you have a you have a wider range of types of people in that organization, mm -hmm. uh, a a wider range of things that motivate them, a wider range of um, positions of morality, uh, or uh, you know the a, a wider range of even even things of what good work looks like and what an employee owes their employer, if you will. Mm -hmm. and, and so I think it's a challenging thing in a corporate environment to try to manage all of those things in any environment, let alone as a Christian, trying to, uh, trying to lead people well when, when you've got just this disparate group of people who you are trying to pull together. So I think that is a little bit more, a little bit more challenging. I feel like it's a little more challenging, um, not to disagree with you. <laughs> I think that there's a, I think there's a unique challenge in leading for ministry because um, in corporate life, 
there are, I think as Christians, we are all called to sort of be pastoral and shepherding other people, making sure that they're doing well. But in corporate life, sometimes people don't work out and they leave and it's a business decision. And in a church, whether it's somebody who's on staff or whether it's somebody in a volunteer role, somebody is just sometimes on the wrong seat of the bus and you've got to get them in the right seat on the bus in a way that still is um, caring for them in a different way. There's a different responsibility yeah. in ministry. And I know that's arguable yeah. because as Christians, you know, we perhaps were called to that in corporate life too, but I think it's just much more pronounced in ministry. All right. So you may have swayed me. So the, the, <laughs> the, there is an aspect to, there is an aspect to, uh, uh, to church, well, a couple of aspects about ministry that are unique challenges. One is in, in a corporate world, um, if you, uh, what's the right way? If, if you fire somebody or somebody fires themselves and leaves, um, uh, chances are you're never going to ever see them again. Exactly. Right? right. But in a, in a, in a church world, um, it's it very likely that you will see them on Sunday. Right. 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 Um, and it's very likely that there's some hurt or some anger or something that, that everybody needs to work their way through in that. Uh, because, uh, you know, unless it's a completely voluntary split on both sides, it is a, you know, there's, there is a sense of, there's always a sense of hurt feelings. Um, uh, and so that is something that, that is a uniquely church thing, I guess. The other thing, and, and you touched on this indirectly, the other thing is, is that so much of what we do at a church actually happens through the the hands and feet of volunteers. Right. And uh, the group of volunteers, if you think about what it is that uh, motivates them, it isn't money. They're not getting paid. Right. The only thing that motivates them is the vision that they are part of. Right. And so, uh, and so well, well, in a corporate environment, even for the most surly, under-motivated employee, you can say, look, your paycheck is dependent on you actually getting this stuff done and doing it well. Mm-hmm. In a volunteer world, you don't have that option. If you if you have a volunteer who's, you know, a volunteer who's in a in a mismatch with their skill set and the role that you've asked them to do, um, you still have to you you can't have the oh your compensation depends on this. You you have to you have to get them reconnected to the vision and maybe placed in a role that is more uh, more aligned with what their skills or interests are within the church environment. Yeah. I think it's an interesting conversation, too, around, um, around the business of church. I think that there are people who are squarely in the camp of church is not a business. I think that there's people who are in the camp of it is absolutely a business. It, it models many of the same stages of business in terms of there's a startup mode, there's a growth mode, there's a, um, a maturity mode. So I think that there's a lot of similarities. But where do you feel like, what do you think that God would say about the church as a business? Well, look, so um, there's a stewardship aspect to church. Right. There are monies collected. There are expenses that need to be managed. Uh, 
and uh, and talent, people, and other other uh, other things that that need to be stewarded. You can call it not a business, but I would argue that there is a look. There is a business side of church. Right. It is the thing that allows churches to rent venues and pay salaries and have programs and print things and buy equipment. Um, it is the thing that allows allows those those things to happen. Um, now, is is business the focus of church? No, and it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. But there is a business aspect that does need to be managed and needs to be managed effectively. And frankly, God calls us to manage it effectively. And unapologetically. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you really excel at as a leader is um, is conflict. You handle conflict. I, you mean I'm very, I'm, I have a lot of conflict? <laughs> you have a lot of conflict. Yeah. Awesome. Um, <laughs> I thought this wasn't going to get personal. <laughs> no, you manage conflict really, really well. And one of the things that I've seen you do um, firsthand, maybe with me as well, is that <laughs> is that when thing, but also in business and in leadership, when things get really tense, um, you have the ability and are consistent in saying to the other person tell me what's going on with you. Like you always start with the other person being fully heard and then validated. You're really good at saying, I get that. I understand that. Even when it's very clear that there's still an objective that needs to be met. So talk to me about how you talk to me about your leadership style. How do you manage that? What's sort of going on with you in those moments? Why is it important to you to handle handle situations in that way? Well, so I appreciate you saying that I always do that. Unfortunately, I don't always do that. Uh, uh, I wish I I wish I did, but I try to do it more and more, and I try to do it. You know, there is no time that I wish I hadn't done it. How's that? Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it is is that look, if if I think that there's a, a situation that's gone awry, um, I am, uh, and maybe I'm worked up about it, right? Which I can I can be. Uh, if I start the conversation by by coming at it from my point of view, it's going to put the other person on the defense right away. And I'm only ever going to know the part of the story that I think I know going into that conversation. And I think um, uh, the end result may still be the same, but I think if you if you if you approach the, a, a conflict with a person and you say, well, why don't you tell me? Why don't you tell me, you know, how you got to this point? Why don't you tell me what happened here? Um, two things, three things can happen, uh, at least. One is, one is, is that they feel like they have skin in this game, right? That they feel like mm-hmm. they feel like they're heard. That that's important, and I think it is important. Mm-hmm. The second thing is, you as the leader have an opportunity to learn something or hear something that you are completely unaware of. Mm-hmm. Now, it may be context that still doesn't change the outcome that you're going to uh, lead the person through, but it, it is context that may be informative in terms, how, in terms of how that person makes decisions and approaches things. Um, 
And, and the third thing, I think that it then allows you an opportunity as you frame whatever the resolution is to frame it in a way that respects what it is that their thought process is. Again, you may decide, uh, you may, and I'm thinking about a situation now where, where uh, somebody had a, 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 an issue, had a thought process or a way of approaching it. I, I thought that it was an incomplete way of approaching it and that the right answer was something else. And I needed to walk them through why it was, why, why the right answer was something else. And, um, and sure, there were tense moments in that conversation. It wasn't like, uh, it wasn't like we were holding hands and singing Kumbaya all the way through it. But, um, uh, and, and at the end, frankly, there is a, there is an element where as a leader, you have to put on the corporate hat or the organizational hat and make decisions that are what's in the best interest of the organization. Uh, uh, even if, even if it means that somebody who works with you doesn't get their way. Uh, and frankly, that's just the rub. It's your job to explain why it, why they're not getting their way to connect it back to the vision and to, uh, you know, and to allow them to carry on with a sense of respect. One of the things that I have said on more than one occasion when we have a conflict, when, I have, when I'm in a conf- conflict situation and I get to the end and, and there's sort of a resolution and the resolution is, uh, is the end of the resolution is, um, in my estimation, I don't think the person handled the situation well, but, but here's, some, here's some ways that they're going to go through with it, is to say, you know, this, in the long span of time, this is just a bump in the road. This doesn't need to be bigger than a bump in the road. Uh, now, of course, the person can make it a bigger thing by yeah. either by continually being, um, or by not following through with what they need to do, by deciding they're not going to follow the instructions, by deciding they're going to go their own way. That's an entirely different thing. But up until that point, I think it's, uh, I think there's lots of good reasons to let let the let the other person lead that conversation in terms of of putting out their information first. Yeah, and I've seen you do that really well with um, not only in business, but as a father and as a husband, um, when we had a really difficult neighbor lady. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Do you remember that? Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. I'm not sure I handled that super well. <laughs> I, well I mean, maybe, maybe, the, maybe, maybe the introduction question I had, which was, what made you think that we would pay for this? I, I'm not sure that that was the same sort of thing that you were talking about. No, but you do you do actually do it really well. I had forgotten all about that. That was years ago. We'll tell that story another time. Um, so talk to me a little bit about, you know, you were saying that when you were younger, you were a different kind of leader and than you are today. So for somebody who's maybe a young leader... Um, or just wants to be a better leader, what is, what is one thing specifically that they can do to improve their leadership? I think that, I think, so, so here's, here's the way I think about it. When I was a, a, a younger leader, my, I sort of felt my job was to get more stuff done, hmm. right? And well, that is that is an important part of being a manager. That's actually not an important part of being a leader. Mm, that's that's a good word. That's a good word. There you go. 
Instagram that. <laughs> All right, no. The, uh, uh, being a leader is about how you connect somebody to the vision of the church or the vision of the organization, the mission of the organization in a way that inspires them to think differently about what they do. Uh, the goal ultimately being that they can, they can figure out how to do their job better than they otherwise could being led by you or being managed by you, mm-hmm. right? I mean, a, a manager can't know 100% of the aspects of every person's job who they manage. But what they can do is they can provide, a leader can provide inspiration and direction and um, and some rope and some guidance in terms of allowing them to think, well, if this is the mission, what does this mean for me in accounting? How do I, how do I, what can I do here that would make that would get us as an organization closer to that vision. I feel like as uh, maybe this varies or maybe um, you have different thoughts on this, but I feel like if a leader is going to invest in their own development, I feel like investing in the ability to communicate well is more important than a specific skill set of people that they manage. Do you think that's true? I think that's absolutely right. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think... Uh, I, I, I guess I would say in my career, yeah. and I, I don't think I'm unusual in this. Yes, I had been in financial services for a long time, but I had I probably had 15 different things that I actually did, 15 different, very different jobs, and um, and yes, I could. De- it, it's important for me to develop my skills in that vertical job, mm-hmm. but it's more important for me to be a, uh, to be a better leader because that's transferable to, into any part of any organization. Um, most leaders, especially, well, I'll say this, most high leaders, leaders and leaders at top levels of organizations, uh, they have a faint idea of what most of their people do. It is not a skill for the, the, the chief marketing officer of a large organization doesn't, doesn't need the skill on how to be a great copywriter or how to be a great graphic artist. They may have a personal interest in that, and that's great. They may have a background in that, and that's great. But their job is to provide inspiration and, and leadership to the people who, who, uh, who have those jobs. Do you think that if somebody is a leader and they feel like they're struggling, do you think, I'm sure it varies from person to person, but I just don't know how anyone can be an effective leader and fulfill that role of what you're talking about if they don't have vision. And I'm not just talking about buying into the global vision of the organization because you could have like a Fortune 500 company that's everywhere. I'm talking about creating vision for their specific team, creating vision for their specific project, creating a vision that's aligned with the bigger vision. But do you think it's true that leaders will be better leaders when they A, have vision, and B, know how to communicate that effectively? So I think the answer to that is absolutely yes. Leaders do need to have or should have a vision for their own part of the bigger whole mm-hmm. because then that helps them personalize to their team what their part of that bigger whole is. It's not, we just make the, the best cars ever. It's, 
it's we're the team that does this that allows this organization to make the best cars ever, right? It's it's it, it becomes a, a a personal thing. I do think it's a challenge. Look, I think I think one of the challenges that leaders have, and it can take a little bit of work and take a little bit of time, is to uh, is to actually craft or think through what is this vision for my department or my group or my world. Um, it's an important thing. In the interim, you're still pointing people toward the bigger vision. You're not trying to create a vision that's different than, you're trying to create a, a, a vision that is personal for your team, but that is in support of the bigger vision. I think if you start with the bigger, bigger vision and you don't have yours yet, I think that's okay, but I think you can be more effective if you then create one that is for your team that they can have even a better understanding of how what they do connects into that. They get more motivated, more inspired. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that beyond there's the corporate vision, there's the you know sort of team vision, project vision, but that also stems from each and every leader having a personal vision of what they want their life to look like, what they want their life to mean, what the you know, what the, the context of what their job does, I feel like that's part yeah. of it, right? Yeah, so I think that's, I, so I think that is right. I think anybody could use a dose of vision for, for their own life, certainly, and I think that makes it a lot easier. We just, Don and I just went through a, um, a community group here at Liberty Church that we led where we went through a book by Matt Perman called not unstuck. Unstuck. Mm -hmm. His first book was called "What's Best Next." That's what came. And both uh, great books. And the unstuck book, right? Both of, and in fact, both of them, but really the unstuck book uh, talked about the need to create a personal vision, so that so that you can define your work, define your life, define your your hobbies, define your other activities uh, in a way that says it either meets it or it doesn't meet it. And um, that was actually that was actually very cool. And here I am. I'm 57. Have been managing people since I was 25, so quite a bit. And um, and I probably wrote my first personal vision here as part of that community group. So uh, yeah. you're never too. It's never too late to start. It's never too late to start. Well, speaking of, this is real life, and we've got our dog shaking in the background. Yeah, you think he's trying to tell us something? <laughs> I think he needs to go for a walk. Um, but uh, before we wrap up, I just want to go through the final five. I actually didn't prep you for this beforehand, uh -oh. so this is off the cuff, but five questions that we ask at the end of every podcast, um, just to further resource our listeners. So are you ready? I am. One, why does everyone think that you're the funny one? <laughs> well, because you're so generous. <laughs> That must be it. That must that be it. That must be it. Um, no, in all, seriousness, in all seriousness, tell me, um, other than the Bible, what's one book that changed your life and why? So, um, the, the, the War of Art. Oh, that's a Stephen good Pressfield. One. Yeah. Was actually a very, uh, it was a very cool book for me to read at a time in my life where I felt like, I, well, this is when I was trading and I was feeling sort of disconnected from it and disconnected from the rest of the world because it's so isolating. And I read The War of Art and uh, actually it was instrumental in me 
finishing uh, and publishing my first novel, self-promotion plug, uh, uh, available on Amazon now. Okay? A first of three novels available on Amazon now. And what's it called? Well, the first two are, uh, uh, first one was 10 Years Dead, uh, and then the second book of that series is 10 Years Running. Uh, and I'm writing the third book of that series, but then I wrote a third book called Pacific Grove, which just is a novel uh, based in Pacific Grove. And uh, one of our favorite places. One of our favorite places, yeah. So, um, and I've, as I, as I joke about, I do this just as a creative outlet, I don't do it to make money. I have made dozens of dollars. <laughs> dozens. I, I, I have. I think I have bought more ice cream cones with that money than I have made. Yeah. So, um, what's one podcast you're listening to now that you like and why? So, well, other than yours, <laughs> your purpose is calling. Thanks, baby. Uh, I really like how I built this. Yeah. Uh, which is an NPR podcast with Guy Raz, and he interviews people on how they built organizations. It's very good. Yeah, we like that one a lot. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite Bible verse and why? Oh, man. This is... So, it changes all the time. Okay. I'd like to say, oh, I have this life verse, and this has been with me all the time, and and then I'll read something, I'll read a verse, and be like, oh, this is so, this is so cool. And I can even, never commit to a life verse. I know people have them, but yeah. well, good for so them. Good things, yeah. Good for them. Just different seasons, different things, right? Whatever works for you. But so, and and I think part of it is 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 I can find a verse, and then I'll just sit and stew positively, but think about that verse for uh, for a long time. I mean, I'll give you an example. So even today, we were talking about uh, in Mark four the story of uh, Jesus calming the storm, and he's in the boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, He's asleep, storm comes up, and uh, the disciples are all in a tizzy, and they wake him up and say, do something, yeah. right? And so he calms the storm. And his question to them is, is, why do you have so little faith? Right. And my question reading that was, what's the faith he's talking about, Right. Is and so this is sort of the I, I have a feeling I'm going to be I'm going to be noodling on this for a while because is it was Jesus saying you should have woken me sooner because I could have done this where's your faith in me is he saying I'm in the boat nothing's going to happen where's your faith in that is he saying is he saying you could have calmed the storm where's your faith to do that so so uh, there's lots of ways to read that sentence now. There's probably theologians, and I'm not a trained theologian. There's probably theologians who may be listening to this saying, well, of course, the interpret the correct interpretation in the Greek of this is blah, blah, blah. The theologian's voice is awesome. Yeah, it's, it's awesome, isn't it? Every, every theologian talks like this. And, um, and I'm sure that they're right. But not being a theologian, I have the benefit of being able to just sort of think about that and dream about that and, and uh, try to consider all the different aspects, which I think is part of the fun of finding a Bible verse, reading a, pat, reading a story, and finding a little angle to it that you see differently, and then you can just stop and think about that for a long time. That's super insightful. 
I didn't really answer your question. That was a cheating way to say I don't have a Bible no, a no, life verse. No, that wasn't it. It's just that usually when you are super insightful, it's something I gave you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am not above stealing Don's ideas. Uh, so that one is all your own, though. I yeah, like it. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. No, it's good. What is the best business advice you ever heard? Gosh. Well, I think the I, so the best business advice I think has to do with duration, right? That um, there are ebbs and flows. That business is long. That your career is long. That life is long, and um, and even if things, I guess the way I the way I would say it is, is there are times that things are bad, and you think that they're never going to get better. And then there are times that you th- that things are going great, and you think they're never going to go worse. Neither of those things are true, right? There, right. there, uh, there are ebbs and flows. There are peaks and valleys. There are uh, there's exciting, exciting things and dull things that are all in a long span of a career and in business. And um, and nobody's career is just a singular angle up or a singular angle down. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. What advice would you give to somebody who is um, maybe struggling a little bit as a leader or just wants to be a better leader? Where would you tell them to start? What would you tell them to do first? Oh, that's interesting. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Well, so look, so first and foremost, God invites us to pray for wisdom. And if we pray for it, he will give it to us liberally. And I think uh, I think part of being a leader is is trying to be wise about uh, be wise about things. So I, th- I think that's the first thing. The second thing would be if you are in an organization and that organization has a uh, has a clear vision, then I think you've got to get yourself connected to that. Mm. You have to think about what am I, what is my role and how do what I do matter for that? Now, if you are the leader and this is your vision and you don't have one, you need to write one mm-hmm. soon, right? Mm-hmm. Because to the extent that you have even if you don't have any other employees, you've got clients potentially or vendors potentially. And, and it's important for you to sort of know what your organization is about. So I would and, say, and it's okay if it's not perfect. It's, it's a working document. It's a, it's a lifelong process. You're going to yeah. edit that thing time and time again. Um, uh, but it is a thing that, that you're going to sit on at least for a window of time. And you're going to say, this is what it is. And yeah, you may, you may, have something happen, open up a new line of business or something along those lines, which causes it to change. You have to rethink it, but that's okay. That's no excuse to not have one. Yeah. Right. So that would be the other thing is, is either craft one if you don't have one, or if your organization has one, uh, find it and figure out how, what you do aligns with it. Because once you see how your, uh, how your job aligns with that, you can then be a leader for those people who you are supposed to be a leader for. That's great. That's great. Hey, Matt, before we wrap up, do you mind taking just a moment and praying over our listeners? Sure. I'd be happy to. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have called us to be salt in this world. You've called us to do great things in your name. That you've called us uh, You've called us to be leaders in your name. And Father, I pray that for everybody who is listening here, that, that you would give them wisdom, that you would give them clarity, 
that you would give them uh, a picture of uh, a vision that you have for their lives, uh, both personally as well as organizationally. If they're entrepreneurs, that, that you would help craft, help them craft a vision for uh, for their organization, for their business. That you would wake them up in the middle of the night with with things to say, uh, things that uh, things that they're going to want to jot down and and figure out how to craft that into a vision. Lord, I, I'm grateful for Dawn. I'm grateful for this platform and the uh, and the fact that she pours into. Uh, entrepreneurs and business leaders all over the world with this. And, um, and I just pray that you would bless this podcast and, and bless her as well. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Matt, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Hey, thank you, Don. It's great. I'd like to thank my guest, Matt Sadler for joining me today. Just a reminder that you can access the show notes for today's episode at donsadler.com slash zero three one. If you'd like to hear more conversations with Christians who are finding purpose, redefining work, and changing their world, subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. The Your Purpose is Calling podcast is brought to you by Avada Christian Coaching. Sign up for our free weekly coaching emails at avadacoaching.com slash subscribe. This has been the Your Purpose is Calling podcast. I'm your host, Don Sadler. Thanks for listening.